Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in French Studies, discussions with scholars of France and the Francophone world about their new books. I'm your host, Roxanne Panchassi. My guest today is Nicolas Kenny, the author of The Feel of the City, Experiences of Urban Transformation, and the book was published by University of Toronto Press in 2014. I'm especially excited about this interview because Nicolas is one of my colleagues in the Department of History at Simon Fraser University. And while we both live in the Vancouver area, he's actually joining me from Brussels, one of the two cities that the book focuses on. Hi there, Nicola. Hi, Roxanne. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. I've had the, uh, the chance to hit, listen to many of your, your interviews over the last little while, and I'm really honored to be, uh, to be on the other side this time. Could you get us started by telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what got you interested in the questions and issues that you explore in the book? Sure. Well, the book really looks at, well, as the title says, the feel of the city. What does it feel like to live in an urban environment? And I've always really been been interested in, in cities ever since I was a kid, really. I I, I just love the the atmosphere, the action, the movement. And and as a student um, living in Montreal, I, I, I just really enjoyed walking around that city. And then I got to know Brussels and and and, and was fascinated by by the architecture and by the layout. And and I kept coming back to this question because these were both cities that 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 were really changed in the late 19th century. The, the, the way they look today is really a legacy of the late 19th century. And I kept wanting to know, well, what did it feel like? What, is it, what did it mean to, to, to be part of this when it, when it was all happening, when all of this was being created, when it was being built? And I remember the thing that really got me going, I mean, because this, this book is, is uh, based on my doctoral dissertation, and, and, and that project started when I was doing um, a walking tour. I'd been asked to organize a, a walking tour of an industrial neighborhood in, in, in Montreal. And it was, uh, it was in the, the, the Faubourg des Récollets, just outside of the old city. And mm-hmm. it, was a, it was an area that, that during the height of, of the Industrial Revolution was, was really a you know, an action-packed sort of place. And then after the 30s and, and then especially, uh, you know, after the Second World War and deindustrialization and all that, it, it, it had gone sort of dormant. And then this was in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was being kind of re, uh, re, re, uh, reinvested, I guess, reappropriated by the, by the new technology uh, sector. And so they were building these new buildings that were sort of echoing uh, the old factories and warehouses uh, in the area. And so that was what my walking tour was about. But I, I kept kind of contemplating these old factories and, and warehouses, places that we think of as being really functionalist places. And yet they were designed with such a uh, an attention to aesthetics and detail. And I, I guess I just wanted to know more about you know, what, what was going through people's minds when, when, they were, when they were building these cities. 
In the introduction to the book, Nicola, you, you map out the project as one that seeks to, and I'm quoting here, situate uh, corporeal experiences at the epicenter of urban modernity. And you say that the body played a fundamental role in mediating the relationship between city dwellers and urban environments. So I want to ask you about some of the building blocks of this mission that you're on in the book, some of the key terms and concepts that you are working with and interrogating in the book. And I guess the the, the biggest one is this idea of the feel, right? This idea of sensation and corporeality and the body. And I just wonder if you could say a little bit about, you know, where you see your book making an intervention in these these literatures of body and feeling and sensation. Sure. Well, I, I think it's a it's um, it's a literature that's actually come a long way since since I you know, first started working on this many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, back. Then I, you know, I was reading about industrialization in in these two cities, and I was a little bit frustrated by the the way. I mean, there were excellent studies on on the topic, but they they all seemed kind of dry in a way, very very much disconnected from 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 this question I had been I, I I was mentioning earlier about the way people actually felt inside when when they were experiencing all of this, and so you know, there's 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 great studies on industrialization as a as an economic process, the, the, the social implications of, 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 of industrial capitalism and, and all that. But I guess I wanted to bring it down. And this, this kind of goes back to what, what got me interested in, in, in the first place. I wanted to bring it down to the level of, you know, the person walking through the street and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and that goes back to, um, again, my own experiences of, of, of living in, in, in these cities that have been shaped by industrialization and, and, and that are still, uh, centers of manufacturing in some ways today, though obviously much less. But but you you smell things, you you see things, you hear things, and all of that for me as an individual was really shaping the way I thought about and was experiencing and 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 the ideas I was developing about my own environment. And so I guess I wanted to transpose that that particular. Um, uh, set of questions that I had about my own, you know, my own life in, in, in the city and, and kind of transpose it to this historical period where, where all this was, was, was happening. Um, and so one of the ways I think, well, there's probably a lot of ways that, that a person could do that, but what I was attracted to was the work of, uh, people like Alain Corbin and, uh, and Richard Sennett, who, um, uh, Constance Classen, David Howes, you know, historians, anthropologists, sociologists who, who started, who, who, who put together this, this idea of, of, uh, history of the senses and, mm-hmm. and, and problematizing something that really, I think, uh, we take for granted. And I think the history of the senses now, it's quite amazing to see all the, all the new works that are, that are coming out. But, uh, for a long time, these people were really, uh, pioneers because, um, sensorial experiences how how something smells how something sounds i think for a long time was considered um well at best something that the historian couldn't really possibly grasp anyway uh and at worst something uh you know trivial and didn't really matter and wasn't sort of worthy of serious historical inquiry like so so i you know i was really interested in 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 kind of taking this these sort of big processes like industrialization, like urbanization mm-hmm. and trying to uh, think about them in terms of these very basic day to day 
taken for granted experiences that we have and, and taking a step back and saying, well, maybe we shouldn't take these things for granted because there's a lot bound up in the way things smell and in the way things sound, right? There's a, there's, there's all kinds of, of, of social uh, relationships at, at stake in there and there's all kinds of cultural construct constructions at play uh, as well. So I, I really want to, um, do this, do, you know, take the study of urbanization and, and industrialization uh, away from kind of the, the big meta processes and, and, and bring it down to the level of, of the person walking in the street. Mm-hmm. And throughout the book, Nicola, you're also engaged with what, well, historical actors, but also historians and other scholars think about this incredibly contested term, modernity. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask you before we go any further, how you deal with modernity, um, what the term means for you in the book, and, and how you see the, the book as a contribution to debates or discussions about, about that term. Well, it, yeah, I mean, I think that's something I struggled to, I struggled with from, from start to finish, from, from the beginning of the project to the, to the very end of it, um, because modernity is a, a contested term. It's also a multifarious term. It, it, it means all kinds of things to, to all kinds of different people. And so it's a complicated concept to work with in that sense. It, uh, it's hard to pin down. It's hard to define to the point where um, there's some very uh, respectable scholars who have preferred just to do away with it. And in fact, uh, I, I was, you know, as I was getting feedback along the way, I had people tell me, well, you know, why do you need to look at this through modernity? Aren't there mm-hmm. other ways, you know, what, what does modernity really um, mean anyway? How, how does it matter? But, but I, I really stuck with the idea, with the concept, because I think it, it's, um, well, I don't want to sort of recite the whole, the whole, <laughs> the whole chapter on it, but, but I, I think what it comes down to is that it, it really, um, is a useful way of grasping the the um, the way people were relating to the changes, the the, the really unprecedented changes going on around them. And in this sense, I was really influenced, like a lot of people who who who, who work with modernity. I was influenced by by the work of, of Marshall Berman here, and mm-hmm. and the way he talks about you know, the movement of the person uh, through the street, the poet uh, and the mire of the macadam and all that. And the, the, the way that um, our environment is, is, is in flux, especially in the, in the, you know, in this period of, of industrial capitalism, of industrial or of, of urbanization, right? Uh, this, this is a, a period in which, Things, uh, as Berman says, everything seems to be, uh, quoting Marx, you know, everything, uh, all that is solid is m- melts into air. Everything seems to be falling apart. People are, you know, sort of don't know where to look anymore to kind of make sense of, of, of their world. And so I think using modernity allows us to kind of grasp that, that sort of questioning that's happening. Um, and it also allows us, this is the other really important thing I think is that it, it, it allows us to see things not as, uh, not, you know, not as, not as uh, kind of uh, progress uh, versus um, uh, backwardness or, you know, modernity has been, been, been critiqued as sort of 
uh, propping up really awful things like war and on a global scale and colonialism and and and, and these kinds of, uh, of of processes that 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 are seen as um, or that were seen at the time as this kind of forward moving progress. So so, but modernity isn't necessarily about uh, about progress in the sense uh, as it is about the way some people have sort of used this notion of, of, of change and, and, and transformation to support a kind of progress-oriented agenda. But at the same time, it's also been a space of, of, of resistance, of contestation, of pushing back against these trends, right? So, uh, so I, I think what modernity allows us to do is to grasp that, that, that complexity of, 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 of change, of how people are relating to it, of 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 um, this ideology of making of building the city as a as a rational, clean, orderly uh, place, set against this kind of resistance to that orderliness, the the chaos. It allows us to pick up on that that movement, that motion, that that, that chaos. And the other thing, and the last thing I want to say about this mm-hmm. is that. People at the time define themselves as modern, and I think that's important when we consider historical period. It's less uh, we you know we we need to whether or not we believe that modernity happened in, in a certain way or not. The people um, who we study here in this in this case certainly saw themselves as participating in something big um and so we need to question well what did that mean to them right mm-hmm. and i think that 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 those are sort of the, the 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 broader questions through which i then want to think about how uh how that experience um happened manifested itself on a very kind of tangible level so i've asked you about the, the this notion of the feel and we've sort of just talked about this idea of urban transformation and change so i want to zoom in on this idea of experience and mm-hmm. how and what that term means for you i mean it's certainly a contested term not just for historians but other scholars um and i want to ask you sort of more specifically what evidence and sources you used in the book to get at the person on the street the the, the mm-hmm. experience of this modern urban landscape that interests sure. you yeah, experience is 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 indeed it's it's another one of these kind of contested uh, terms, and especially in the wake of kind of uh, postmodern um, thought, um, there there was there's a a tendency, I think, at some point to want to question. Uh, whether experience really means anything, whether it's not all, it's not all um, sort of bound up by language, uh, whether, whether what we think of as experience is not in fact kind of a, a, a linguistically constructed uh, notion, right? Mm-hmm. And, and people like, um, like Joan Scott and, and, and Patrick Joyce have written very uh, interesting work on this. But at the same time, um, I, I think when, what it comes down to is 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 that we still, <laughs> you know, whether it's linguistically constructed or not, you know, the peop- we still have, we still feel things, we still uh, we still smell things, we still hear things, we still see things, uh, and certainly the people that I'm studying in this book were were very um, attuned to to these sensorial experiences that they that that they were having. So um, I think we need to be 
careful not to reify the experience, these experiences, not to, not to sort of take them for granted as, as being kind of authentic markers of, 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 of how things actually were. I mean, uh, you know, the way something smelled or the way something sounded, um, is, is, is kind of a, a basic physiological thing, but then that takes meaning because of the social and linguistic processes through which it gets articulated and, 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 and this experience enters uh, the discourse, right? But at the same time, there's a, there is a fundamental contact between, between the body and the space in which it's, uh, it's moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that, that's where I situate uh, experience. You know, as I said, being being careful to uh, consider the the, the the social constructs uh, behind that, and so where well, where, how do you get at that? Um, what I wanted to do here is really try to get a range uh, of sources, and 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 what I found really exciting about doing this research is that it seemed like no matter where I looked, people were talking about their sensorial or corporeal or bodily experiences of, of the city. No matter what I was reading about any kind of description about the city, it seemed that 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 that, that was the lens through which it was represented. And I thought, okay, well mm-hmm. this this means something. If there's this kind of consistent uh, you know use of this sort of language in describing the city, I think it's speaking to something, to 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 a phenomenon that's happening. So um so, so I really wanted to hear a, a range of voices, and 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 you kind of—it's uh, easy to fall into the to the trap of of kind of focusing on uh, elite or middle class kind of uh, commentators of of urban life who who had you know who wrote really interesting things, but but who represent a certain uh, kind of viewpoint, and, and and those people are definitely there because they. They dominated the, you know, the, the 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 they were the people who wrote things down, you know, mm-hmm. in the late centuries. So, so you've got a lot of. So the first the first place I looked was in you know municipal archives, um, and so you've got the you know the writings of 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 uh, municipal uh, administrators, politicians, uh, planners, engineers, this kind of class of of, of uh, urban professionals that are. Uh, you know, people that are shaping the, the city at, at the time, but at the same time, you've got you've got citizens of you know urban residents of all sorts of backgrounds writing letters and um, and 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 signing petitions and going to see their neighbors and getting together to, to complain about the noise that a that a that a, a factory is making or or the smell or of 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 of, of you know something burning over here or or, or whatever and, and and people um you, you, you through those through those um uh, municipal archives you 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 hear you end up hearing quite a, a range of of voices of 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 men and women of of, of people from different uh, social backgrounds so there so there's that kind of uh sort of formal uh urban uh, type of uh, urban administration type of source but then you i i was really interested too in how people were representing the uh, the city in more imaginative ways. So I looked uh, um, at a lot of, um, of, of fiction, you know, novels, and poetry, which again uh, speak to how people were, were were representing those 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 experiences. I I looked at the popular press. I looked at almanacs. I looked at mm-hmm. um, travel guides. Um, how did you choose? <laughs> Yes. I mean, like you say, you know, if if these this way of talking about things or representing things is everywhere, how did you make some of those choices? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think I, one of the things I accepted very early on is that it, it wasn't going to be an exhaustive um, overview of sure. you know, every possible perspective on the city. I mean, but uh, I guess I was interested in different uses of of, of urban space, and so the, the so and and this is how the the, the book kind of gets structured in the especially in the in the in the second part of it, um, you know. The first thing was 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 factories and industry, you know, the, the the industrial world. So you know, um, I was looking at you know the reports of, of factory inspectors. I was looking at mm-hmm. testimonials before uh, labor commissions. So in, in some ways, um, I, my starting point was was often kind of the well known sources on those topics that I wanted to kind of read a bit differently because a lot of people have worked with factory inspection reports and. Mm-hmm. and uh, labor commissions, uh, but haven't necessarily looked for these kinds of, of sensorial uh, language in them before. Um, so then, the other another theme was 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 housing. So um, I looked at the at the files of of um, or organizations, uh, pay, what they called in, in Brussels anyway, patronage committees. You know, uh, these these sort of uh, very bourgeois kind of. Um, uh, Charitable organizations, if you will, that were designed or, or constructed to try to help working, you know, the, the deserving poor, the you know, working class people into uh, more uh, respectable types of accommodations. There's a very loaded uh, kind of um, language in these in these things about moral propriety and and, and all this, mm-hmm. but it's always sort of there's always this undercurrent of of of, of, of sensorial language, which again I, I wanted to tease out. So really. Based on the, the the specific kind of theme that I was focusing on, uh, you know, I would start with um, with uh, uh, kind of the, the, the sort of classic sources, and then sort of try to branch out a little bit. Um, and again, it, it goes back to what I was saying about wanting to look at um, industrialization in in a more kind of uh, cultural, imagine, imaginative way, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, as, as a cultural problem, as opposed to as an economic or, or a social problem. So um, I wanted to talk about industrialization, but from the perspective of what, you know, novelists uh, had to say about it. Or, um, so, 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 so I guess to, 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 to get down to it, it, it was sort of starting from the, well-known sources and then trying to branch out to more kind of imaginative things. So before we get into talking about the the subsequent chapters in the book, I just want to ask you one more kind of setup question, which is that the book covers the period from 1880 to 1914. And that's not, well, it's not an unknown <laughs> time span. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's one that I've seen before or we've seen mm-hmm. before. Um, can you say a little bit about why you covered that time period, those bookends, what your choice uh, of those two dates reflects? Yeah, it, it's it is a it is a sort of a conventional in a way uh, conventional form of uh, chronology, um, but it's also it, it, it it's also it, it works quite well in terms of the experiences of of, of these two cities with industrialization. Um, the eighteen eighties, uh, both Montreal and Brussels really start to to pick up uh, after the uh, the the. Uh, 1870s with with kind of uh, economic crisis and depression and all that. And there's there's kind of a new impulse to industrialization in, as of roughly 1880. Right? These are these are quite sure. uh, 
you know, approximative dates. They, they, um, and then I take it in, to 1914 and 1914, the obvious uh, endpoint because the, the war comes and, and changes everything fundamentally, especially in Brussels, uh, because the city mm-hmm. is, is occupied by uh, by, by, by German troops. And so the, the, um, the whole rapport to the urban environment changes because now all of a sudden you're not in a, in a, in a kind of, uh, uh, expanding industrial economy anymore. You're, you're, you're under military uh, occupation, starvation, uh, death, suffering. So it's a, it's, it's a very different way of relating to your environment. Also. And I think my, I think the argument works for Montreal, as well, in the sense that even though uh, the war is happening in in, in Europe, um, the you when you when you look at this at at the way people are talking about the city as of nineteen fourteen, there's a there's a definite kind of toning down of the excitement. Uh, there's uh, you know the, the the war is having a, a, a both an both an economic but also I guess in a way a, a kind of a psychological impact on 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 people as well. So. So it's a it's 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 1880 to 1914 is 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 in a way uh, it's it's a relatively short period. So it allows you to really um, kind of get into that daily life. It's hard to do daily life, I think, mm-hmm. over a hundred years or over two hundred years when when you're working with a, a short period. I think as a as a researcher, you really get into the atmosphere of. Of, of 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 the of the era, uh, and that and that's what I was trying to do is trying to try to tease out the, the nuances of, of that atmosphere. So so I want to focus on something short. I want to focus on something that corresponded to a certain set of of realities in both of the places that I was looking at, uh, and then I wanted. Um, um, to, to use this period because it was, uh, a, you know, it was kind of a, a heyday of, of industrial modernity in a way. So, Nicola, the book is a, a tale of two cities, to use a cheap uh, reference, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Montreal and Brussels. Uh, and you're contributing to this, you know, complex and vast literature of urban history and urban geography and ways of thinking about cities, some of it uh, comparative and transnational. But you focused on Montreal and Brussels. So why these two cities? What did they have in common? Um, yeah. How did they diverge? You know, what's the what's the setup here in terms of the two places that you've chosen to focus on in the book? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that that that's a question I get asked a lot. I think um, there's 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 a lot of of reasons I wanted to work with with two uh, these two cities uh, in particular. Um, the the project started as I said I, I I was living in in Montreal. I was fascinated by Montreal. I wanted to work on Montreal, but I also wanted to think about how Montreal's experiences uh, reflected in light of uh, uh, of what other cities were going through, and and in particular in Europe, because this kind of industrial modernity is. Is is a is really kind of a Western phenomenon, if 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 we can if we can say that. I mean, it's 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 it's. Um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to imply by that that modernity isn't having very real uh, consequences in, in places that that aren't understood as as the West. I mm-hmm. mean, 
And I, I know it, it I, I don't like to say that because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really problematic kind of uh, conceptualization, but uh, modernity is happening in Europe and in, and in North America. And it's, and both of these societies are, are, are shaping one another. And there's a lot of back and forth between these two places. And so I wanted to think about Montreal in, in, initially in a in a broader sense than just Montreal and I wanted to set it set it against uh, somewhere else that was in in some ways equivalent and I think Brussels uh, worked well um, Paris is always seen as you know the 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 capital of the 19th century the mm-hmm. the the you know the 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 uh, urban um, center par excellence in, the, in this period, and, and, and when I when I uh, when I teach urban history, you know, I, there's a lot of material on, on Paris in my classes because it, because it's such an exciting uh, context to study uh, the city of as, as you know, you know, you just have to think of the work of, of, of David Harvey and so mm-hmm. many other. Um, but cities like montreal and brussels were 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 in a way more typical of of these of these processes because uh, more more people lived in these sort of smaller uh mid-sized cities that were kind of in the in the orbit of all these changes and weren't necessarily pushing them forward like paris was like london was like new york would later on uh but they but 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 they were very much um Influ- very, very influential in in, in shaping uh, the 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 way that urbanization uh, was happening, and 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 in terms of, of of people's experiences, not everybody lived in the big, the small number of big cities. There were there were a lot more people living in uh, a, a, a larger number of smaller cities. If you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. so I think I, I wanted to, in, in some way move away from the the the, the kind of the, the the big the big names in in the field like like Paris and uh you know take take it down to these kind of um sort of secondary cities that that were that that maybe don't get looked at in this particular way uh, all, all all that much um and then of course i wanted to think about cities that that um, uh, you know, you when you start thinking comparatively, uh, you you want to work with with uh, with 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 two or more uh, sets of objects that, that that you're comfortable handling together, right? Mm-hmm. So so studying Montreal in a comparison with with, with Paris, I think, would have just uh, you know wouldn't have worked all that well um, because of the because of the difference in, in scale and mm-hmm. size. And important. So, so Montreal and Brussels are undergoing similar transformations at around the same time. They're also roughly similar in size. They're also cities that are uh, shaped by their by their by their by their cultural diversity, um, by uh, their unique. Both of them have unique kind of. Uh, Location in the in 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 the, in the natural geography of of of, of their of their um, respective uh, countries, um, but also they are participating in these broader trends that are happening on a on a transatlantic and and even a global scale at this time. In the second chapter of the book, Nicola, you really focus on the way the city is visually represented. I mean, you, you, the book explores 
the sensory experiences of the city in all sorts of ways. Um, but the, the visual representation, this chapter was particularly fascinating to me. And you talk about this idea of representing the city and the urban landscape in terms of panorama and labyrinth. And I really wanted to ask you to say more about those two things, um, those two ways of figuring the city and how they impact uh, the sensory experience of, of urban life. Mm-hmm. Well, well, what's interesting with, with sensory uh, descriptions of, of, of urban centers is, is the way that the, the first kind of, the, the first, impulse you get is often a visual one you, mm-hmm. you, you know the, the descriptions the descriptions of of smell of sound of touch are there of taste even although those i found a bit harder to get at um but but it's 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 um it's really a uh, uh, sight that seems to predominate and this is nothing you know this is nothing new if you know the historians of the senses have long talked about the way that sight was the sort of m- considered the most noble of the senses, the way mm-hmm. it was the, the hierarchy of the senses and sight is at the top because it's, it's understood to be rational and it's a sight, you know, it's a sense of observation of knowledge of authority, of power, of masculinity, all, all these things. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, you know, the other senses are, are, um, especially, you know, smell and taste are considered more, uh, animalistic and, and unreliable and instinctive. Um, and they're often gendered feminine to, to, to kind of, you, you know, use that, that, um, analogy. And so, so I guess I, I kind of wanted to start, start with that because it was what jumped out at me, uh, the most, uh, and then proceed to, um, to 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 unpack it using using the other senses. So the notion of panoramas is quite interesting because you get an incredible diversity of panoramic uh, representations of cities during this uh, during this era. Um, it's it's I think in in a way um, the, these are often very celebratory images of the city. They're, they're, they're the kind of the triumphalist mode, right? Um, and, and in a way, when you, when you step back from, from, from the, the action and the, and the movement and the dirt and you look at the city from afar or from above, everything seems to fall into place, right? Everything seems very orderly. So representing the city through panoramas was a way for the, for the urban bourgeoisie of the time to, um, to impose a certain order to express their mastery uh, over 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 the environment, um, and so there's all kinds of and they and they do they they do this in, in, in all sorts of ways. Uh, so I so I try to contrast different types of, of of uses of the panorama and some that really focus on um, on the city uh, you know as a whole, but but leaving out you know important things like that big industrial neighborhood right there that you you know that they're not talking about when they're when they're going on about the churches and the and the and the monuments and the and the trees surrounding them right so there's a there's a kind of a willful erasing of 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 things that are kind of inconvenient in there others use that panorama um as a way to Take those factories and those smokestacks and those and those uh, you know, steamships and and turn them into something that's aesthetically pleasing and soothing and that signs of, of progress and of, of modernity and all that. Um, and so there's 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 all kinds of ways in which the 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 the, um, 
the, the panorama functions to uh, celebrate the city. But then when, if you contrast that against uh, more, you know, descriptions of, of the city that are sort of on the ground that are, that are taken from the street that are taken from the, from the factory that, that still consider the city as a whole, because as we'll get to the, 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 the other parts of the book, try to kind of break up the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but here I wanted to talk about it in its, uh, in its entirety. Uh, but, but all of a sudden when you're, when you step off of the, of the mountaintop or the Belvedere or whatever, and you get down into the street and, and then you're confronted with the, with the, with the, with the other, with the crowds and with the, with, with the stench and with the, 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 the cacophony of the, of, of the environment, all of a sudden the other senses start to, start to, be much more predominant in, in in discussions of the city. So, so what I wanted to do in, in in was 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 really to contrast these two ways of seeing from afar and from within as a way to highlight the uh, the the multiple manifestations of, of 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 sensorial experiences in in these descriptions of the city as a whole. Before then, you know, going into the various sections. So, in the second part of the book, you really. Um do what you just what you just described this um, dividing the city up into well really you follow kind of the course of the day right work sleep mm-hmm. home leisure family mm-hmm. um, so I wanted to ask you about that that decision you know to 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 mm-hmm. break up the book along those lines um, and then to see if you could give us some examples of the types of materials that you're working with in that in that in those chapters in the book and. Uh, and how they contribute to this kind of broader history of the, the senses in the in the urban landscape. Sure. Well, um, the the idea to 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 break it up into these three. So 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 what I've done is that there's a chapter on kind of the industrial uh, world, you know, the world of the factory. Of mm-hmm. the world. There's a, a there's a, a a chapter on on the home, and then the chapter on the street, where you know, kind of people spend important parts of their day. Uh, uh, at work in the, in the factory or observing the factory, uh, at home, uh, and then in the spaces in, in between. And, and this roughly, and the, the kind of the image I use to illustrate this is this kind of, is the eight hour movement that's very, uh, uh prevalent in, in, in Montreal and, and in Brussels at, at this time. Uh, and in, especially in Brussels where they call it the, the three eights. So mm-hmm. eight hours for work, eight hours for rest and eight hours for leisure. Um, and so this is of course, uh, an ideal way of, 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 of thinking about time. Uh, it, it doesn't really happen until much, uh, much, much later uh, mm-hmm. than period. But what's interesting about that, that, um, way of framing in life under industrial modernity is that it, 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 it takes a day and it separates it into spaces and into the things that we do in those spaces, right? And so that, those were, those were my, my, my you know, my fundamental questions about how people interacted or were interacting with these spaces. So, so, so I wanted to look at these different, the different beats of this rhythm mm-hmm. uh, um, of this kind of work, sleep, uh, uh, leisure, knowing that, as I say, it's a, it's a problematic uh, construct. And, and one of the things that I point out is that, is that not only is it an ideal that doesn't actually really uh, happen, but it's also a very masculine ideal right. because of course the, 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 the women that I talk about in the book were, um, you know, 
except for the ones who worked in factories, they, 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 this idea of, of separating the day was, 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 well, at best a luxury because, uh, because their, because their, their, their work life and their home life was so, so intertwined, whether they were, whether their responsibilities were, uh, you know, for the, for the home or whether they were doing outside paid labor, but, but in the home, um, you know, that, that, so, so, so I'm very aware that this is, this is kind of an image that, that, that I'm working with, mm-hmm. but it allowed me to think about, um, uh, you know, the, the industrial city as it was being, uh, conceptualized in this, in this, in this kind of movement, which was, which was, um, promoted Primarily by uh, labor groups and 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 um, labor po- political parties, but that also had a surprising um, uh, following among uh, certain industrialists who thought, well, if we actually if we did this, our workers would be uh, better rested and happier and more productive, and, and everybody would 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 um, would uh, benefit, right? So, so there was there was actually a number of, of of capitalists who who actually bought into this notion as well, which is which is interesting. So again, it it sort of reaches different um, ways, uh, you know, di- di- different perspectives. Uh, mm-hmm. of, So, Nicola, you've talked about, we've talked about the different types of sensation in terms of smell and touch and taste and sight. Um, And I'm just wondering about the way that the book uh, communicates with this exploding literature on emotion and affect. You know, you say the feel of the city. So how do you engage with those other types of feelings uh, in the book? Well, I think that's what I really liked about the word feel is that it allows you to uh, access those different uh, dimensions of, uh, of feeling both in a, in a kind of physical way as well as, as in an emotional way. There's kind of a, um, there's a, a slippage that happens there between the, the, the physical sensation and how that gets translated into an emotional uh, reaction. And, and, and I think going back to what I, my my objectives uh, with, with with this book was really to think about okay how do these brute physical uh, material um, sensations get translated into uh, ideas imaginations conceptualizations uh, of the city so so I, so I, I really wanted to work with that um, uh, uh, that that duality right that that notion of of feeling having both a, having both a physical and a mental uh, sense to it and, and kind of thinking about the way that the two shape one another. Now, I think pro- the, the book really does highlight the, um, the, the, the physical side of that, of that dynamic. I, I think there was so much to say in terms of, 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 of those sensorial experiences of those sounds and smells and all the rest of it um, that, that the, emotional uh engagement with the city um didn't i, I guess I, I just sort of ran out of time in, in a way to, to 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 engage with that as as fully as i would have liked to so i think if i if i could critique my own work that, that that's the main thing that that i would say but uh no have no fear that that that's the next thing i want <laughs> <laughs> Um, you, uh, this is kind of diving back a bit to the, to the discussion that we just had about panorama and labyrinth, but I wanted to ask you about some of the new technologies that are emerging, um, in the same period that you're working on, you know, photography, early cinema, some of these kinds of things. And I was thinking as I was reading the book about, 
not only the feel of the city and the experience of the city, but then the bodily experience of experiencing. (laughs) And you talk about this when you talk about panorama and labyrinth. And I'm just wondering about, I mean, it's kind of fascinating to me and and impressive to me how much you had to take on in doing this study, how you deal with this, this, this question of the new technologies that are emerging around uh, the, the fin de siècle and the turn of the century that, that you're dealing with in the book. Mm-hmm. Well, I think those those new technologies are, are 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 interesting because they are generating both new feelings, new new sensations, um, and, and that's very clear. I think when I talk about uh, the you know the factories and the machinery and how people mm-hmm. relating to those things uh, through their bodies, uh, you know the 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 stress that 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 uh, that those realities were were, were placing uh, on on the body. Um, but they also generate new, new, they, sorry, I'll go back. They, they generate new feelings, but they also generate, I think, new ways of feeling. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. here of, of, of work by people like Jonathan Crary, who, 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 who really get into this and, 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 um, what it means, what, what, so if you take the sense of sight, well, what that means, what it means to the, the, the gaze that is cast upon the city uh, uh, changes because all of a sudden it's being represented um, in different ways, you know, using different technologies, using, as you say, the, the start of uh, photography. Photography is a great example. There's a talk about that a, a, mm-hmm. a little um, People are all of a sudden seeing the city very differently because they're seeing it through the lens of, uh, of a camera, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think that's what, what's what's interesting too about this period is that the way uh, that, that that these um, new technologies are 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 not only the the, the generators of of new feelings of new ways of feeling, uh, but but or of, of, of new sensations, but of of of, of new um, they, they themselves are, I guess are playing an active role in shaping that relationship to space. You talk in the book about you certainly engage, you know, the lines of class difference and um, gender, the sort of, especially with respect to the distinctions between or the kind of leaky distinctions between public and private and home mm. and work. Um, are there other lines of, you know, when we talk about the body in the city, we know that there yeah. are multiple cities and there are multiple bodies. So I just sure. wondered if you could talk about that, the different kinds of bodies that you're dealing with. I, I even, you know, thinking about this. I was thinking about age, you know, and, mm-hmm. and some of these other things and how, how you deal with those, all those different types of bodies that are moving in the city. Yeah, that, that, I think that's a really good question. And it's, it, it's a really uh, challenging mm-hmm. uh, aspect of doing this, this kind of work because you're trying to make, uh, you know, as, as historians do, we're trying to weave through all this information and, and, and try to come out, out of it with, 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 with a kind of a, uh, vaguely coherent understanding of a phenomena. Um, but at the same time, when we're talking about bodily senses and, and, and experience and movement, um, it, it's something that, uh, of course, is so individual in a lot of ways that, that is shaped by all kinds of things. And the, the example of, of the, 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 the race, gender, uh, age, uh, class, ethnicity, mm-hmm. uh, um, um, uh, ability versus disability, uh, you know, all, all these, uh, all these things. So, um, and, and, and I try to tease out various, uh, examples of, of, of that in the book, but in a general sense, I think 
what what and the way that we can kind of get past that is 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 thinking about um send the senses in a social uh context right that um particular and and I think we can probably say this about the the emotions as well but particular ways of feeling particular ways of of um of, of, of seeing, of smelling, go beyond the individual experience uh, as people kind of share, uh, talk about, you know, actualize these experiences through language. Um, there's there's broader social meanings mm-hmm. uh, that that underlay the significance of a particular smell as being equated with with something you know evil or 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 morally corrupt versus another one that's associated with cleanliness and 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 high moral virtue and all that so so it's so so it's really much more than just what the individual mm-hmm. is feeling but rather how those sensations Start to shape a broader social discourse. So I, so I think um, we need to be very aware of the um, the multiplicity of sensorial experiences along all kinds of lines that that that, that cut across these uh, these realities. But at the same time, how there's there's kind of broader cultural understandings that emerge that are of course very contested right a um, just to use some of the examples from the book how a, a, an author of a promotional booklet on montreal that's designed to attract uh, investors to the city portrays the panorama portrays the way of of seeing the city differs fundamentally from you know the way um a socialist author in brussels talks about the panorama as a way of of kind of putting you know giving workers their place in 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 that in that environment right so mm-hmm. so so the the ways of seeing are conditioned by different backgrounds by different political agendas but what sort of what sort of comes out of that is that seeing itself or smelling or, or hearing are ways in which people recognize descriptions of, of of the city, ways of talking about the city, right? Is th- those are those um, physical experiences are common reference to mm-hmm. uh, to understandings of urban space, uh, f- and from there, of course, they they, they diverge in, in 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 politics and background and objectives and all sorts. Of things. Does the fact that I mean, I know they're not the only cities like this, but does the fact that Montreal and Brussels, you know, I think of them both, having grown up in Montreal, I think of them both as, and, and visited Brussels, I think of them both as cities where there are different languages at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder about the, the sources that you use and the fact that given, given different languages, does that make mm-hmm. it, does that make a difference in terms of your reading of the material? How people, well, in the case of Montreal, you know, how people in English or French, talk about these things yeah well i you know i was really expecting that it would more than more than it did and oh. I, I struggled <laughs> with this because i i want i mean you know i i i i was surprised actually by by the way that sensorial experiences were were conveyed um were were were, were laden with meaning that to me anyway in my reading of them was much more um, class or gender based hmm. than it was uh, linguistic, and and but at the same time, I thought, hey, this is kind of good because, especially for Montreal, um, it's it's another way to look at at the city that 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 goes 
beyond. I mean, I think you know, ling- ling- linguistic tensions are you know the bread and butter of <laughs> Montreal history. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> so, so, and and of course, it's it's fascinating, and I don't want to discredit that. There's there's you know there's excellent <laughs> problematizing this, but I think we can also think about other. Uh, ways of of experiencing Montreal that that weren't necessarily uh, about language uh, per se, and it gets a little bit tricky as well dealing with Brussels because a lot of people say, okay, well here you go, you've got two bilingual cities. Well, what does that mean? Mm. Except for their bilingualism is very different. Sure. Um, it's 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 much more pronounced in Montreal. The linguistic tensions are much more uh, pronounced in Montreal than they are in Brussels at this time. Mm-hmm. The linguistic kind of divide um, or, or uh, that, that, that hits Belgium happens, it's, it's starting to brew in this period, but, it, but it, it's, a, it's a society in the early 20th century, at the turn of the 20th century, that is really structured along ideological uh, lines and the real cleavages in 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 uh, in in Belgian and in Brussels society is is along political lines between Catholics and liberals and an emerging uh, um, uh, socialist movement. So 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 language is is there, but it's not. But it, it, it's kind of um it, it, in Brussels at this time, it's still sort of an abstract uh, political question that's less, I think. Um, Related to those kind of day-to-day uh, sensorial uh, experiences, and so I guess what I, what I found was that the way people talked about their physical uh, sensorial engagement with the materiality of their environment was conditioned much more according to their to their um, to their uh, kind of uh, social grouping or, or 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 whether they were of a certain age or of, uh, whether they were men or women or uh, much much more than 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 language I, you know so 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 in a way that the the issue of the the linguistic duality might might be something that needs to be looked into more it's it's something that um, I'll be honest is 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 actually somewhat underplayed uh, in this in this particular work hmm. I just read uh, this morning. <laughs> I just read uh, a piece that you wrote, Nicola, um, for Niche, uh, which maybe you can tell us about that publication mm-hmm. and, and a little bit um, in, in your response. But the, the piece is called "One Flew Over the City: Sensorial Experiences of Urban Space," and it's a it's an article in which you talk about the contemporary issues in in in, in Brussels. Um, and I just wanted to use that, I guess, as a point of entry to ask you about. Um, what your thoughts are on how the book contributes to our thinking about change uh, and experience uh, in 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 the urban landscapes today in Montreal, Brussels, Vancouver, where we both live. Mm-hmm. Um, what your thoughts are on on that? Yeah. Um, so so niche is the um, uh, I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, new initiative in Canadian history of the environment. That's that's what, and there's also a French. Uh, uh, acronym uh, for it as well, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, so. So I was very pleased to to to, to be asked, uh, invited by by the uh, by the um, editors of the of the of the blog that they run to to write a short kind of reflection on uh, on this book and on how I see it connecting with with um, with uh, the cities that we live in today. And so uh, I think 
<laughs> sort of coming full circle to what we were saying at the first, at, at the start, I, I, I think, you know, I, I'd set out to do this project because of my own, um, you know, physical questions about my own sort of physical engagement with or sensorial uh, wanderings uh, through the city and and now i guess i can't help but 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 see that <laughs> everywhere i go so so one of the things i i i i talk about in this in this article for niche is that so i'm living as you said i'm living in brussels now because i'm on on research leave for a year um and uh when i when i got here there was a controversy that was raging over uh, flight pads um, over the city. So uh, uh, flights coming in and out of Brussels airports had been rerouted and suddenly we're going over you know, central residential districts of, of, of Brussels. And of course, there's a lot of politics behind this because the kind of um, suburban communities that had uh, over which much of the, the, the flight, the air, air uh, traffic was concentrated before or had had enough, they were, you know, so, you know, there's a certain kind of political uh, spin that gets put on this about how the flights were 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 rerouted for electoral reasons and and, and all the rest of it. But what was but what was really uh, striking about all of this was the um, uh, the way that you know I, I I arrive in Brussels after not having been here for a number of years, having been here to work on how in the 19th and early 20th centuries people thought about the the city in terms of their sensorial experiences, and the first thing I find is this debate <laughs> that's happening about noise and and about the rumblings of the airplane mm-hmm. and. The- Way people can't sleep, and about how they're afraid that their um, their home values are declining, and 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 then and all of the all of the houses in my street had these little signs, you know, against this uh, this new uh, um, routings, um, and then and then there were these kind of big. Um, you know, large uh, signs uh, you know, on, uh, on 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 apartment buildings. With there's one that really troubling. Kind of this this young boy is 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 crying, and he's got an airplane like literally flying through his head. <laughs> and so there's this there's this, there's this really you know deep uh, engagement. So so I thought to myself, well well well, this is this is interesting. Um, you know, this kind of an interesting episode. But 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 in a larger sense, uh, I think what all of this reminds us is the extent to which the um, my my project tried to in a way contest uh or 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 push back against a, a literature that sees the 19th century uh, and this kind of modernity as as rational um or orderly uh imposition on 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 urban space mm-hmm. um, as the beginning of a kind of a desensitization of the body a sanitation mm-hmm. Of, of the city that, that, and, and I think, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge, um, admirer of the work of Richard Sennett and he, he expresses this really well, how, uh, especially since the second world war with, with, uh, freeways and suburbs and the emptying of downtowns, how cities have become these kind of empty dead spaces that our bodies don't connect to anymore. And I thought, okay, well, I think there's probably, you know, a lot of truth to that, but if you kind of, again, if you take it to, uh, if you start to look at these questions on a on a smaller scale of of, of the neighborhood of the city of a short uh, period of time, you start to see how these trends, which are um, attributed to the kind of 
mid 19th to late 19th centuries when when these uh, scholars start to see it happening so corbin for instance uh talks about how our our threshold uh for for sense really uh, diminishes as of the, as of the uh, for smell pardon me uh really diminishes as of the mid 19th century and and that's when you start to get these kind of dead end cities that 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 that, that we don't really um uh connect with in a physical sense the way that they might have done uh 200 or 300 uh, years ago and, that, and there's a, there's some kind of something lost there um and and so part of my my objective in 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 doing this project was was, was sort of to problematize that narrative a little bit and say, wait a minute, against these general trends that are, you know, undisputable, um, we, we, we can't just, we can't assume that, um, all of a sudden the body, uh, disappears. We don't maybe talk about it as much as they did in the, in the 19th century. Uh, but, but every once in a while, an episode like, uh, these, uh, airplanes flying over Brussels reminds us, of just how important that sensorial connection is to the way we think about, organize, uh, and, and, and structure our relationship to the environment that we live in. Well, Nicola, there's so many questions I still want to ask you, but I'm only going to ask you one more, which is what are you working on now? <laughs> yeah, well, um, all kinds of things actually. Um, one of the things that I, that I mentioned when we were speaking is that I, 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 the, one of the things that the book, to my mind, maybe didn't do enough was, was get into the, uh, the emotions. And so, so I moved much more into that, into that, uh, area of, 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 of inquiry, um, questioning, uh, the, the sort of downplaying, I guess, the, the, the sensorial, which gets a, a lot of attention in the book. And I'm, and I'm moving now with, with a couple of different projects to, um, thinking about, um, those, the way that gets translated into emotions and how the emotions, again, I think this is part of a, a an emerging uh, field that's, that's really quite exciting that for a long time, uh, you, you know, and when I teach historiography, I have, I have texts that I show my students about, um, uh, historians who say, well, you know, we can't, we can't possibly get into the, uh, emotional uh, lives of people that, that, that there's kind of a line there that is just uncrossable for, for mm. the historian. We can't go back in time and, and know how people were feeling. And yet, uh, just like with the senses, the emotions have a real uh, social, uh, um, cultural um, meaning to them. And, and so there's, you know, all kinds of work by people like William Reddy, Barbara Rosenvain, who, who have really brought this uh, to the fore. And, and, and I think there's an, an, an exciting opportunity to think about the emotions with respect to, uh, to, to city life in particular. So I'm still interested in, in, in Montreal and, and, and Brussels, but, um, and I've actually, uh, been working on a piece that, that looks at street lighting in these two cities, uh, and thinks about them in terms of, uh, thinks about, uh, that, pardon me, that looks at street lights in terms of the emotional, uh, responses that they, uh, that they generated in Montreal and Brussels. But I've also been working with the two cities, uh, separately, um, Looking at emotional experiences of urban life uh, during and after uh, World War One, um, because I think that's uh, one, one of the things I, I, I talked about was how the book stops in World War One because all of a sudden the war changes everything. Well, I think that gets said a lot, but we need to think maybe more about what it is that the war changes in a city that 
does get changed, but but even though it's not experiencing the the war itself. And then the thing that brought me to Brussels is um, a separate project that that's always been kind of on my back burner, even as I've been working on this. But but I'm but I'm getting more fully into it this year, and 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 hopefully. <laughs> advancing with it um, is looking at radio broadcasting in the mid 20th century uh, in Brussels uh, and thinking about that uh, in terms of the soundscape and the, uh, the emotional experiences associated with, um, with the, with radio as really uh, an important and probably the primary means of, of communication for a while there in the mid uh, 20th century. So, so still thinking about some of these uh, issues, but 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 um, through through very different uh, projects now. Well, that all sounds fantastic, and I'm excited that I I know I'll get to talk to you about all of this more. Um, <laughs> Nicola, thanks so much for joining me and for writing this wonderful book. Well, it's uh, it's been a pleasure, and thanks very much for this invitation. <laughs> 